Before there was death, there was the lie. So says author Jared Wilson. Before there was death, there was the lie. In the Garden of Eden, the father of lies slithered his way into the scene, onto the scene with one, one question. And behind that question was really uh, a heavy, crafty, creative lie. And with that question and with that lie, he infected Adam and Eve with a disease called death. And ever since that day, Satan has been infecting the world with lies that lead to death. Death resulting from sin. Satan is incredibly crafty. I mean, he is incredibly deceitful. His his agenda, Jesus tells us, that Satan's agenda is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is deceitful. He is crafty. But listen to me very clearly. He is not equal to God. He is not the opposite of God. He is evil, but he is not equal to God. He does not have the power, the presence, or the position of God. Satan is a, a fallen angel. And his power and his presence are limited. However, that does not mean that he is not a formidable foe. Satan is a formidable foe. And we would be incredibly wise to recognize his ways. And here's what I want to propose to you today. That though he is formidable, he is also predictable. That we can find a pattern of how Satan works when we look through church history. And when we look through the Bible, we can see the pattern that Satan attacks the church. He is very predictable. He is never mentioned by name in Acts chapter 19. We do see the word demon mentioned in Acts 19, but Satan is never mentioned by name. But the evidence of his work in Acts chapter 19 is all over the place and perhaps no more clear than, than it is today in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 21. Today, what you're going to see as we look through Acts 19, verse 21 through 41, are three pictures, three descriptions of Satan's ways. And they are obvious, and they are clear, and they are predictable, and he attacks today in the same way that he attacked then. Last week, you'll remember that we were in Ephesus, and, and there was changed lives in Ephesus. There was a revival that broke out in Ephesus, and you remember they had that huge bonfire where they burned all of their magic books, and uh, Luke tells us that, that, that if they totaled the value of those magic books, do you remember how much they were worth? 50,000 silver coins. This is a huge bonfire. There were changed lives in Ephesus. And the result of changed lives was that people quit pretending and got serious about following the Lord. And when that happens, when that happens, guess who shows up? Satan. He shows up every time. He's predictable. His patterns are predictable. And I want you to see three descriptions of his work from Acts chapter 19, beginning with this one. Satan is the father of lies. He is the father of lies, and he is really good at lying. He is the most deceitful creature ever created. If Satan's mouth is moving, he is lying. He will lie about lying. He is the ultimate liar. His lies are crafty, and his lies are believable. That's what makes him so good. Because he gets so close to the truth, but yet so far away. In Acts chapter 19, we're going to see three, uh, three the works of Satan, the, the the, the riot, really, that appeared because of Satan. 
And we're going to see that major revolt was focused on Christianity, fueled by money, and founded on lies. Look in your Bibles, beginning in verse 21 of Acts chapter 19. The Bible says this, after these events, so this is after the bonfire, after they had burned their magic, after these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After, he, after I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. This was focused on Christianity. The word way is a, a term used to describe Christians. About that time, there was a major disturbance. The Greek literally reads, no small disturbance. A major disturbance about the way. Verse 24. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. And when he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, look closely, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. Artemis of the Ephesians was known as the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sexuality. And Demetrius made a pretty penny by creating idols of Artemis and selling them. He was living his best life now. Demetrius got his buddies together, the, lo the local union, the silversmiths, pulled them all together and he says, hey guys, listen to me. Our prosperity, our paycheck, our money, it comes from this idol-making business. You see, when Jesus showed up in Ephesus, people began to get rid of those idols and quit, people quit buying those idols. Jesus changed the culture. And when people stopped buying those idols, well, the lifestyle of the rich and the famous begot, became threatened. Demetrius' lifestyle became threatened. Demetrius wasn't sure if he'd be able to afford that oceanfront property anymore. And so he calls a meeting with his brothers. This was fueled by money, but it was founded on a lie. Look in your Bible. Verse 26, tell me if you can spot the lies. He says this, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus... But in almost all of Asia, this man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. Not only do we run the risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin. The very one who all of Asia and the world worship. Did you see the lie that Demetrius Shared, he's kind of telling the truth, isn't he? I mean, he says, hey, gods made by hand are not gods. He was telling the truth, but he was believing the lie that gods made by hands are gods. Verse 26, he says, Paul misled and Paul persuaded people by saying, gods made by hands are not gods. Demetrius believed that man's hands could make God. But we know it's the opposite, that God's hands made man. The people of Ephesus worshiped the goddess, Artemis of the Ephesians, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sexuality. They idolized the goddess, literally idolized the goddess of fertility and sexuality. We don't do that 
today. We don't have idols today, by and large. But listen, our culture is still the same. The, the pattern of Satan is still the same. People in our culture, we're not carrying around, usually, images of foreign gods. No one's carrying around a, a silver image of Artemis today. Our culture doesn't worship an idol of sexuality. But believe me when I say our culture does worship the idea of sexuality. If the Ephesians worship the pagan idol of sexuality, our culture worships the pagan idea of sexuality. And Satan doesn't care. He, he could care less whether or not you worship an idol or an ideology. His goal is to get people to not worship God. So he doesn't care how it happens. He's just good at lying. He's good at telling you one thing that is that he's good at, he's good at lying. And what you need to see, church, what you need to see more than anything else is that Satan isn't just lying to the culture. He's not just lying to those outside the church. He's good at lying to those of us in the church. He's good at lying to those of us in the pews. And we, more often than not, fall victim to his lies. Let me just share with you two of Satan's lies that he has infected the church with today. One of those lies, one of Satan's lies to the church, is that you can't stand for the truth. That you can't stand for biblical truth. Satan has so persuaded many in the church that if they stand for biblical truth, they will be canceled by the culture. Satan tells the church that if they stand for biblical truth on marriage and on sexuality, that they won't reach people. He tells the church, you can't say that. You can't talk about those things. And we bought it. We bought into his lies. He tries to shame us into silence or move us into compliance. But listen to me. We dare not let Satan shame us into silence or move us to compliance. And let me give you some evidence. Let me give you rock-solid evidence that we can, in fact, stand on biblical truth. Are you ready for it? Rock-solid evidence that we can stand for biblical truth in a culture that hates biblical truth. Are you ready for it? 2,000 years later, Artemis is dead and Jesus is alive. 2,000 years later, the temple of Artemis has been destroyed. But the church of God is going strong. Listen, listen to me. You can stand for biblical truth because 2,000 years from now, biblical truth will still be standing. You can stand for the word. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you you can't say that. You can't believe that. You stand on the word of God, the truth of God. Secondly, the second lie that Satan tells the church today is this. It's really just a reworking of his original lie. Satan tells the church that God didn't really mean what God said. And this one is tricky because it shows up in so many different ways. God says he loves you. And Satan says, does he though? Does he love you? Because if he did, that thing wouldn't have, have happened. God says, clearly, this is what sin is. And Satan says, is it though? Is that sin? Isn't that an archaic thought? God says he will supply all of your needs. And Satan says, well, you don't quite have enough. Not yet. God says he will never leave you or forsaken you. And Satan whispers in your ear, where is God when you need him the most? Listen to me. Those are lies from the pits of hell. When Satan tells you those lies, don't believe him. 
don't fall for him. When he tells you you can't stand for biblical truth, you stand as tall as you want to stand, and you tell him that he is not a good professor of biblical studies. Don't listen to what he says. When he tells you that God doesn't mean what God said, remember that he is a liar. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He lied to the people of Ephesus. He told them that Artemis was a god, an idol to be worshipped, and they fell for it. He is a liar and the father of lies. Don't fall for the lies. And you say, how can I, how can I not fall for the lies of Satan? By recognizing the truth. By being in the word. This is your sword to fight Satan with. Know the word. Know the truth so that you can spot the lies. Satan is the father of lies. Secondly, he is the author of confusion. Lies will always lead to confusion. Always. And in this case, the confusion led to chaos. Look in your Bibles, verse 28. Notice the confusion. The Bible says this. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage. And they began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Verse 29. So the city was filled with, what's your Bible say? Confusion. And here we find the great paradox of Christian faith. The great paradox of being a follower of Christ. It's this. The gospel message, the message that declares that Jesus is Lord, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save us, that message makes the world furious. And we don't know why. Like, you don't have to do anything to be saved. What makes you so mad? What makes the world so mad at the gospel message? It's the great paradox of the gospel message. We have seen this played out over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Beginning in Acts chapter 4, the... We've seen God's people be arrested. They've been flogged. We've seen the death of Stephen, the persecution of the church, the persecution of Paul over and over and over again. And what's the one thing they all have in common? They were preaching the message of the gospel. And it is the same thing today. The preaching of the gospel message to the world today will either get you canceled or get you killed. It makes people angry, filled with rage is what verse 28 says. They were filled with rage and then they went into total chaos. Look at verse 29. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed all together in the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial Uh, officials of Asia who were his friends sent word to him pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Satan has unleashed confusion and chaos on the city of Ephesus. People were hooting and hollering. They were screaming and shouting and look at verse 32. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Because the assembly was in confusion. And then what does it say? Most of them didn't even know why they were there. They were just, they were just shouting to shout. Yeah, great as Artemis. Down with Paul. They were just there to have a good time. That's a confused group. This is a mob mentality. And the mob mentality is not from the Lord. The events in in Ephesus are purely satanic. Purely satanic. This is a riot. 
And why did the riot come? Because Jesus was changing lives. And changed lives changed the culture. The people of Ephesus, they weren't going to buy silver shrines made to Artemis anymore because Jesus was Lord. There was chaos there. There was confusion there. There were cold hearts there. Look at verse 33. You can imagine the scene, right? Imagine this place filled with people and they're all shouting and all screaming and you don't know what they're screaming. This side shouting one thing, one thing that side shouting another. People are just, just having a fit. And look at verse 33. You can see the scene. Some of the Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander. And after they pushed him to the front, motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make a defense of the people. So can you see Alexander doing this? Like he's trying to say, sit down. He's motioning with his hand. Verse 34. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, my Bible says they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Do you know how much energy that takes to shout together in unison for two hours? And the words they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Guys, this was an ugly, ugly, ugly scene. And behind it all was the father of lies and the author of confusion. And this is a pattern that we can still see today. He's still lying. He's still confusing. He's still doing the same thing. But there's one more description that I want you to see. One more description of Satan's work that you've got to land your eyes on. He's the father of lies. He's the author of confusion. And thirdly, he's the king of losers. He is the ultimate loser. Satan cannot possibly win. And you say, why? Because God is in total control. Look at how God wins. Look at how God wins and Satan loses. Look in your Bibles, verse 35. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, people of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and do not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen are, who, who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, verse 40 he says, we run a risk of being charged for rioting for what happened today, since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. And look at verse 41. After saying this, what do he do? Dismiss the assembly. A major disturbance, a riot in the streets, shouting for two hours, all the hubbub, all the mass hysteria, all the mass anger. And by the time we get to 41, the city clerk says, just go home. <laughs> and they did. The riot, the confusion, the chaos was all bark and no bite. And I can almost see Satan like sulking in the corner because he still hadn't found a way to stop the gospel. He didn't get to Paul. He can't win. Listen, Satan cannot win. But we also have to be careful. We have to be careful saying that in this context. I don't want you to walk away thinking that, that Satan lost because Paul was unharmed. I don't want you thinking that Satan lost because Paul walked away and didn't have a scratch on his body. I don't want you to think that Satan lost because 
this riot was all bark and no bite. Imagine with me for just a minute. What do you think would have happened if Paul went into the amphitheater? If his friends and the disciples allowed him to go into the middle of the riot, what would have happened to Paul? What do you think? He would have been certainly beaten, flogged, arrested, maybe, maybe even killed, right? And even if he was, even if that happened, even if Paul was severely beaten, severely flogged, arrested and put in jail, guess what? Satan still would have lost. You say, well, how do you know that? Because that's exactly what happened in Philippi. Don't you remember in Philippi when, when Paul was in the middle of a riot, he was drugged through the city streets, he was flogged, he was arrested, set in prison overnight. And do you remember when they, in the middle of the night, in the, in the barracks, they started singing a worship song? And do you remember that God sent a, a massive earthquake at that moment? And all of that resulted in the salvation of the Philippian jailer, the birth of the Philippian church. So listen, Paul was beaten by the mob in Philippi and Satan still lost. Paul was spared from the mob in Ephesus and Satan still lost. And listen to me, this is where this matters. If you let him, if you allow him to, Satan will tell you that the outcome of your circumstances are a reflection of God's love for you. That the outcome of your circumstances are a reflection of God's approval of you. And that's another one of Satan's very crafty lies. Our circumstances, what happens to you, our circumstances are not the tool that we use to determine if God loves us. We use the word of God to determine if God loves us. And God has said he does love us. And anything short of that is a lie from hell. Listen, if we allow our circumstances to determine God's love for us, then what, what's the working out of that? If we allow our situation, the things that happen to us, to, de to, de to determine, does God really love me? then when bad things happen to you, you will conclude that God doesn't love you. Don't do that. Don't fall for that trick. It's a trick from Satan. It's a lie from Satan. And you need to send it back to the pits of hell where it came from. Outcome does not determine success. And you say, well, what does determine success? Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness determines whether or not you are successful. You be faithful to God despite your circumstances. You be faithful to God despite your outcome. And if you remain faithful to the Lord, you will one day hear these words from our Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me give you just two points of application as we close. It is important that we recognize, I mentioned at the start of the sermon, that Satan's ways are predictable. He's, he's predictable. And it's, in, it's important that we recognize his pattern, that we recognize his ways, because recognizing his pattern makes us ready for the battle. So when you see the lies of Satan, and when you see confusion, and when you see the tricks of Satan, it ought to trigger something in your mind that says, oh, this is spiritual warfare. And guess what every good soldier does before he goes to war? 
He suits up. And where do we see that in the Bible? Where do we see the, the, the suiting up for spiritual warfare? Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us how to fight battles against the dark ways of Satan. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Did you hear it? Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this dark world, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, verse 14 says this, Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, verse 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Here's what you've got to know. You are commanded to fight spiritual warfare. It is not passive. You are actively engaged in a battle. And you've got to suit up in your armor to fight. So when you see lies and confusion and chaos and disorder, it should trigger a reminder in your brain that this is not our home. This world is not our home. We belong to another world. And the Lord has placed us here. And while we're here, we're going to undergo spiritual warfare. And when we see those signs of spiritual warfare, we need to suit up for battle. When you spot the lies of Satan, you're able to fight with the right tools. It's important. This is the most important thing I'll say all day. First point of application is this. Recognizing his pattern makes you ready for battle. The second point of application is the most important thing I'll say all day. Are you ready for it? We fight the battle of spiritual warfare knowing that Christ has won the war. Satan is the ultimate loser, the king of losers. Why? Because Christ already won. I'll close with this. Look in your Bibles. Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 30 and 31. Remember the scene. There's chaos. There's confusion. There are riots. Demetrius had told the crowd that it was Paul who was the problem. And they wanted to kill Paul. They were ready to take him out. But look in your Bibles and notice the confidence that Paul had. Look at verse 30. Acts chapter 19 verse 30. Although Paul wanted to go before the people... The disciples did not let him. Verse 31. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him. And my my Bible says, pleading with him not to go. What does your Bible say? Begging him not to go. You know what that means? That means that Paul was like, no, I'm going. You're not going to stop me. No, Paul, please don't go. Listen, this is a bad deal. No, I'm going in. 
No, Paul, you can't go in. Paul was begging to go in. He was, he was begging to go into the lion's den. They had to plead with him and beg with him not to go. And he had to know that if he went into the amphitheater, he was not going to come out alive. He had to know that walking into the amphitheater made him a dead man walking, and yet he was still begging to go in. Why? Well, it wasn't because he had a death wish. The reason Paul was begging to go into the amphitheater was because he was fighting the battle knowing that Christ had won the war. The reason he was begging to go in was because he knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason he was begging to go in was because he knew that greater is he who lives within us than he who lives in the world. He knew the mob might kill his body, but they couldn't touch his soul. And he had a confidence, a confidence in life that came from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have that exact same confidence. Yes, yes. Say, how, how do I get that confidence? Well, listen, some of you need to stop believing the lie that Satan has been selling you for far too long. Some of you need to stop believing the lie that heaven is reserved for good people who do good things. That is not true. That is a lie from the father of lies. There will be a lot of good people in hell. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't get to heaven by being good. You don't get to heaven by giving money to the church or putting money towards your favorite nonprofit. You don't get to heaven by being nice. You get to heaven by trusting in Christ and repenting of your sins, by being saved by the Lord. And you say, how am I saved? Well, listen, the Bible says this, Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the, here's the point of application. Repent of your sin. If you don't know Jesus, repent of your sin. Believe in the truth about Jesus. And be saved. And when you do that, you will have confidence like Paul had. You can walk in the middle of the storm. Why? Because you know that greater is he who lives within us than he who lives in the world. And you will know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you need to repent of your sin and trust in him, come and talk with me. I would love to share with you the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Some of you in the room, however, you have fallen for the other lie. I'll just hone in on one of those. Some, some of you have fallen for the, did God really say that? You've fallen for that lie. Did God, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Am I really loved by God? Is my faith in Christ really enough? Did God really say that he'd take care of your needs? Did God really say that he would never leave you or forsake you? Yes, he really said it. And he really meant it. 
So if you're believing that lie, let me just encourage you. If you're believing the lie that says, did God really say, let me encourage you to figure out, to find out what God really said. Open your Bibles every day and read them every day. That's the only way you can spot the lies of the devil is to hear and see the word of God, the word of truth. So get in the word every day. And let me close with this. I'll finish with this simple exhortation. As you, as you uh, engage in the battle of spiritual warfare, and by the way, there is nothing you can do to stop it. Spiritual warfare is coming to your front porch. You are actively engaged in the, in the battle. And as you engage in the battle, as Satan brings the battle to your front porch, remember this. Greater is he who lives within us than he who lives in the world. Satan is not God's equal. Only God is all-powerful. Only God is all-loving. Greater is he that lives within us than he who lives within the world. And listen to this. As you fight spiritual warfare, remember this from the words of Paul. Be strong in the Lord and by the power of his might. For the glory of God and the sake of his name. And all God's people said...